Welcome to and almost starring the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And wow, is that a way to end your family film? We're looking at Time Bandits. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Jo, how you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good as well. I'm Napoleon. <laughs> this handy stock in this pocket. Oh, I just want to see all these puppets. That puppet show, I couldn't... T- that It ends with that puppet seemingly getting murdered and falling. And I was yeah. like, is that part of the show? Or no, did someone I shoot this guy deal. in the hand? The puppeteer seemed like he was shot in the chest. But Quite I didn't possibly. see who shot him. <laughs> I was like, Sweet. It's like the original Who Shot JR. Who shot this puppet movie? Sean Renault. I, I mean, that director is trying to hang himself. We that oh, we're like oh, it, we're, it was real. The, dark. the first twenty minutes, we see uh, death by firing squad. We see the, the mm-hmm. threat of suicide as a joke. Like this. I remember the 80s when that was your remember family film. Remember the 80s and when comedians <laughs> made movies, and I mean comedians who have a hard edge into anti-comedy. Oh, yeah. Like, oh yeah. Ooh. I love it. Well, as, as they they would say, like some of the reviews, like reading up, is like that this is a a family film or even a children's film with fangs. That it's oh, that's it a is, good way of describing yeah, you know? it. Yeah. And it's true, and it's, you know, and I love it. It's so funny every time that, as me, as us, like a couple with uh, no kids and no plan to have kids, of seeing, like, movies like this, sometimes I'm like, oh, oh, my God, like, for the children, but the children. And then I'm like, the stuff that I was watching as a kid, when I'm like, yeah, that you either, you either don't understand it and it goes over your head, like, even, like, if it's, like, the full implications. I don't even mean, like, adult humor, but even the, like, and now the parents blow up. That's how this, if you haven't seen this, listener, uh, this movie ends with this main kid's parents blowing up. Yep. And then it's just mom, dad, and Credits. movie. Cue George Harrison. It's a wild time. Wild time. But I'm like, yeah, I was watching all kinds of what crazy, you know, never well, ending story. And never like, ending story. I remember that dark, wolf dark, puppet dark freaking stuff. me out. Even Princess Bride, you know, like has some dark stuff. And then, um, you know, and like Clue has some scary sequences when you're seven There's watching murder, Clue. Yeah, sure. famously, you know. There's murder and then dead bodies being used as wacky props. Yep. That like, yeah, it can, be, it can be dark. But that's, it's just so funny to me when I'm like, oh, but, but, but in a kid's film and I'm like, yeah, no, no kidding. Kids can, kids can handle a lot. Yeah. Um, which I love and I love for this. Uh, but let's get into it this is a listener request from jesse so thank you jesse because neither of us had ever seen this and movie before boy are we thrilled we have now oh yeah and like i knew it was terry gilliam i knew that there was a strong monty python influence because it's co-written by gilliam and michael palin and michael palin and john cleese both appear in it and that's it and, and as far as monty python mm-hmm. uh, uh members members go um, but I knew, like, basically, like, the rough, like, this is about a bunch of time-traveling bandits, as the name goes. And I knew it started, it was, it was a kid in it. That's really all I knew. I thought it, What did you think this was? I thought, in the same way that I thought Veronica Mars was kind of, like, Veronica's Closet, which is not a show I ever saw. But I was like, oh, it seems bad. It seems uh-huh. not what I want. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be, like time cop sure or what's isn't there a movie jean-claude van damme maybe, maybe yeah. like split kicking yeah, agamemnon and cop, napoleon in the face isn't there another movie with time in the title yes <laughs> time after um time after time somewhere in time Som- somewhere in time i films. know of okay. yeah um, well time after time is i think i think also david warner Speaking of David Warner as far as this movie, but uh, Malcolm McDowell, I think, is H.G. Wells having to go traveling through time to catch Jack the Ripper, played by David Warner. I'm thinking of some other movie. We should watch Time After Time. Because just saying that out loud, I'm like, like, that sounds rad. With time... Mm, I want to say it's like a 90s movie 90s movie and you're like time I remember watching it in the back <laughs> at work one night when I worked at Starbucks and uh-huh. one of the shift supervisors who was off for the and, night like came to hang out and he just they were playing that in the back any recollection of who could be in this oh, film no. anything happening in this film yeah. outside of it having the word time yep. in its title let's yep. air it down a little yep. itty bitty There's for me people please 
Okay, we got people. We it's got like people. Okay. Big, it's like a big a budget Hollywood situation. Big budget Hollywood situation with people. Okay, yep. we've narrowed it down. Yep. A little um, bit. I mean, maybe it was Time Cop, but I somehow remember there I being more like landscapes rather than interiors. Landscapes rather than interiors. So it's probably not the Woody Allen film Interiors. I can tell you. <laughs> It's not. <laughs> anyway, we really <laughs> narrowed it down. The this point might is, be I thought a mystery this was, for another I day. thought this was going to be like an action, action like movie dumb, going through time. Like, yeah, sure, like, sure. like, like big, big, dumb, hunky guys fighting. Big, dumb, hunky guys fighting. Instead and that of is like not this. Awesome, strange yeah. British actors. Oh, I love it. Like, I love it. Just, this was so fun. This was, a this was bananas. Listener, our villain evil genius david warner at one point in the climax he has all these cowboys lasso him so then he becomes a little puppet man and spins around so fast that all these cowboys having lassoed him are swinging around three like swing until a knife comes out of david warner's head and cuts these ropes and these cowboys swing off into the stratosphere my mind was blown just david warner in a hat that like had skeleton hands on it. Oh, they raided every party city they to make sure all did. this. They sure did, and I thought I need to raid a party. He is city giving you, now. He's serving you Rita Repulsa. Yes, it's very that. With, but with this, like, it's it's honestly great. The back of the head is a skull it's like a vacuum with it, like tube. a tube going into the mouth, and then like little skeleton hands on the side of the head. It's a great look because that's the thing, Terry Gilliam. I love Brazil. I haven't seen it forever, but that's like the '80s Gilliam that I'm really familiar mm-hmm. with. Um, probably the Gilliam that I'm most familiar with in general. Like I only seen 12 monkeys ones, fear and loathing and lost Vegas ones. Never seen any of these. But in Brazil, there is like something I've never forgotten is like someone has like a creepy baby mask is like a torturer. And I think it's also maybe on the back of the head at one point. And that's what that, like the skull in the back of the head. Uh, I'm like, you love that. Like, Oh, and this, our villain, he's real two faced because he's got one real face. And then one creepy fake face on the back of the head. And that's what that was giving me. And this is like, I mean, that's what I love about Gilliam is that from a like conceptual standpoint, all the like the ideas that are going on are so out there and so high and all of his technical abilities as a director and a creator are so low. But I love it. I love how dirty this film is and how grody it's filthy. It's also like that Rita Repulsa, all the villain costumes, they're like so it's low rent. And I love that. I love that. But in a way that feels like intentional, like oh, B-movie-esque, yeah. Yeah. you know? Absolutely. I love it. I loved everything this, about this Truly film. the moment we started and it was baby Jim Broadbent on a television show. I was like, baby Jim Broadbent. wait, one moment. And it's so English, this whole thing. It's like such an English period piece. It's like when you watch the movie of Matilda now, like yeah. it, it's like this just makes more sense if they're English, but we made them That's American, true. you know. But it's like That's this true. watching the parents just like, I want a new kitchen set, Trevor, you know, is very, yeah. it's very the parents and Matilda, just less like obviously villainous, yeah. but just that kind of, um, you know, con- like TV dinner, consumerism neglect, kind of uh, yeah. uh, just. Very late seventies, early eighties, um, and and just like the 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 attitudes and the cadences of voices, it just all makes so much sense in in like a British sensibility. I had a great time. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Um, so real quick, listener, if you're not doing so already, please like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you you haven't already, check out our new Patreon. We have this month new out now new episode on Thor Ragnarok. Hey, in time for Thor Love and Thunder. So check out our Patreon. You have episodes on Thor Ragnarok and our watch along commentary on the fly. Buzz buzz. Uh, and uh, that's that's the end of your uh, little commercial for our Patreon. We're going to keep gently reminding <laughs> you until we wear you down. Hey. <laughs> well, we should record that and make that. <laughs> A full Patreon song. Um, so let's get into it. Time Bandits came out on November 6th, 1981, and was directed by Terry Gilliam and written by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. Amy Jo, I, I mean, We've talked we know what it. our experience is. Yeah. is. We zilch. hadn't seen it before. It was zilch. Your experience was thinking it might be a time cop related A time cop related situation. And you know what? Situation. I'm thrilled. I really want to get to the bottom of what this 90s time movie I'm is. Not looking, <laughs> 
do it. I really hope it winds up being something that has nothing to do with anything time wouldn't that be terrible related wouldn't like that it just be takes, very like you used to have par. like oh well we take place some in the 70s and then some present day and it's just like what are they traveling through time like no this is now and then we're just seeing. it certainly was not i know now and then <laughs> well okay it's, I know it's that like from now a- and then it's like then and maybe now uh, uh so i thought there were portals <laughs> i don't okay, know okay portals Okay. Yeah, we're that's gonna, promising. Listen, we're gonna crack this case at some point, and we'll check back in with you later. Uh, but for right now, spoilers ahead. You ain't seen Time Bandits. You haven't seen it in a while. Here's a briefish synopsis. I mean, the basic premise is this kid, 11 year old Kevin, who's neglected by his parents, who are so materialistic obsessed. And he's into history. He loves history. And one night, a, a knight on horseback just breaks through his wardrobe, which really feels pointedly like. Uh, a line which in the wardrobe Very they should be bursting out of the wardrobe apparently took them quite a while to train this horse to jump go through this wardrobe i'm sure the horse is like i'm looking at a dead wall yeah. here what am i doing this is not what i do as a horse you got to be paying me extra carrots bud if you want me doing this stunt yeah it's it's like you almost need um someone controlling it from the outside so you can pull it open so that the horse can go through but they i'm sure that they also did yeah. have that to help but it's still like you know, you want me just running around at this uh, wardrobe? Um, but he's, you know, he, he's like, oh, wow, there's some magical shenanigans going on in my room. And he meets the time bandits, these six uh, uh, bandits who we learned used to used to work for God. Yep. They're the they're the dudes who they're on built, trees and shrubs. They're on trees and shrubs. They built. Uh, yeah. Built the world. And they've stolen god or as we call him the supreme being they stole this map of all of like time space because there's all these portals that they realize like you know what we're not getting paid enough we now can go they realized we built the world so fast you see it's a real slapdash job we found all these holes in it like they found where there's like the portals are actually like where the universe wasn't put together properly because they all well they had seven days (laughs) and now they can bip and bop through time to steal they're gonna steal from napoleon we, we it's really just like a series of comedic vignettes where we're seeing ian Holm as napoleon john cleese as robin hood we're bipping into the titanic sure uh, are alst while the supreme being is chasing after kevin and the time bandits because he wants the map back and we david warner as we said is evil genius also wants the map to like remake everything in his own image right. it's kind of our basic good versus evil which all builds up to like what a great anticlimax of in once again cowboys whipping around his head and then as he's about to unleash his evil awesome power he just gets turned into like frozen charcoal dust as the supreme being is like all that's right that's enough of that that's enough of that when one of the bandits what fidget full-blown dies a pillar falls on him crush and it's just like well, wicked witch of the west or being, east style being dead is no excuse of laying off the job it just like, brings him back to life so like get to work put, get put all that evil in this post like waste bin <laughs> yep it's like hmm Hmm, we're really, we're really making some statements about capitalism. Here. We sure. It's so, but it's so funny though that as a kid, I'm sure it's just like, and that of course makes sense. But as an adult, it's like this is such delightful satire yeah. of this kid. This kid is so good. The kid as is Kevin. excellent. I um, adored this this child actor. But him just asking like. But like, you mean you could have stopped him this whole time? And it's like, oh, sure, sure, sure. It's like, but why do we need all this evil? And it's like, I don't remember. Something to do with free will, I think. Just yeah. like, it's so delightfully British. It's so delightfully British. It's so Python. Like, so this is Python. the kind of thing that I think if I hadn't known it was Python people involved, once we got to that point, I would have been like, there, the smacks of life of Brian, for oh, sure. Yeah. Also, within all this, we... He, it has a, uh, about like a 20 minute pit stop in ancient Greece when he gets Kevin gets separated from the bandits and he winds up saving Agamemnon's life. Sean Connery. Uh, when, when there's <laughs> these two masked dudes who are fighting and they have yeah. togas showing off the gams. I was like, is You're this like, where we're getting Sean Connery? Are those, are those You're Sean like, is gams? it? And then sure enough, he takes Well, because I thought you were talking, talking about like, the other guy. Because I thought that sean connery was like down for the count because he looked dead and then i was like the other guy who's got this big like boar head head mask on which is a prop that they reused for the movie gladiator (gasps) yerp but i was like 
that can't be Connery. It's like, look, Connery, even assuming Connery's not going to be doing this with the mask on, I was like, Connery's not allowing his stand-in to be this guy that was a bit like a little more out of shape. And yeah. then when they, you see like, oh, oh, that's Sean Connery. I was like, oh, of course yes. that's Connery. Oh, this was one of my favorite moments in the whole movie. And I made you go back. The when, little helmet. Yeah. Okay. So Connery is like, oh, thanks for shaving my life. Thanks you know? for shaving me. Grisha's favorite son, yes. Sean Connery. And so he like hands the helmet, you know, and, and the kid loves Agamemnon, but doesn't know that he's met Agamemnon yet. But he like, Sean Connery hands him the helmet. He's like, uh, here, you you want that? And the kid puts it on. It's huge on him. It's one of those helmets with all the feathers that go, to, not feathers, like the horse hair that goes down, the, like your classic Greek right. Roman situation. Yeah, centurion yes. type. And so the, the kid's like, oh, I can't, uh, oh, for, for me or something for me. He's like, what, don't you want it? He goes, oh, you, please, yes. Yes. <laughs> so he's wearing this giant he's helmet. So he just cute. Oh, please, yes. He's so adorable. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Agamemnon's like going to adopt him. And then eventually the bandits like think like they're rescuing him and kidnap him away. So at the very end, he, the kid, Kevin, wakes up. Kevin wakes up. To his house is on fire. But it's like we <laughs> a bit of the evil from the evil Didn't genius get put in the special canister is no it got put in his parents microwave so his house is on fire he gets rescued and one of the firemen is sean connery so you're like is this a dream is this real life is is the fireman gonna come to his rescue is this a real life is not, this just fantasy and ultimately not really because what the parents see the evil in the microwave and the kid is like mom dad don't, don't touch it's it. evil don't touch it and they immediately look at it and touch it blow up this fireman, Sean Connery, looks at the kid, winks, gets in his truck, drives away. <laughs> and the kid has, he has a Polaroid camera. He's been taking pictures of things all the time, yeah. and he's looking at he's these He's got the going, receipts. He's got it's the proof. Real. It's real. That's the end of our movie. It was wild. I loved it. No notes. Five no out of five notes. stars. Initial thoughts, Amy Jo. What did you, I mean, there's so, I got so many thoughts. I have, yeah, I don't know. I kind of, yeah, I, I, th- we have... Some characters to discuss that, and then we have plenty of actors that are not on the list, so I don't kind of know how we should attack this, but... I think we can kind of just go, as we discuss the characters, that's when we'll discuss the vignettes, I think. the actor, I forget his name, who played Randall, like kind of the head of the band. David Rappaport, I believe. Oh my God, this guy is so so good. good. Like, what a star. Yeah. And... You know, it's what also was really fun about this movie. So all the bandits are actors of short stature. And so they all have a lot of screen time. They have distinct personalities. They're not dressed as like Ewoks. I think, didn't you say all of them were in? um, Well, that's what I saw one of the trivia things say. But David Rappaport is not credited. I think like him and someone else are not credited as being in Return of the Jedi. So a a majority of them have worked in the Star Wars universe at some point, either as We've got Kenny Baker, R2-D2 himself. himself. A lot of them have played Ewoks. Some is But like in those films, they're so covered up by costumes. Whereas in this, like we're actually seeing their faces. They all have lines lines that were like arcs, big characters. And it's it's great. And they're, they're so good. Every, every one of them is like so delightful. They're so fantastic. The David Rappaport. And then I forgot also the actor who played, um, Wally, I think was the character name, who has the curly hair. I loved him. I mean, they were all so great, but those two actors in particular, I was like, yeah, I wish there was just more. Yes, that is Jack Purvis. Jack Purvis. Yes, great. Great. Who's kind of like the real tough one of the crew. He's like, yeah, did he's the one who like accidentally causes um was it fidget? Is, yeah. yeah. Yes. He to get the column well, to fall on him, and the reason because we'll get into a lot of this was like written on the fly, but like they were kind of throwing this all together. Wow. Um, and it was they originally wanted Agamemnon to be in this big final battle scene and to be leading the charge, and he'd be the one who died. But that didn't work with Sean Connery's schedule because mm-hmm. they only had him for the first two weeks of filming. Uh, so instead, they were like, oh, "Okay, well, so let's have Fidget die, and we'll have." Jack Purvis be the one to kill him because Kenny Baker and Jack Purvis apparently used to be a comedy duo. Really? So I was like, that's perfect. So he'll really, he'll really be feeling it that he's the one that killed his old comedy partner, Kenny Baker. <laughs> um, and then of course he gets brought back to life. Cause I was like, are they, are they really just killing? It's not just killing him, but he's, he's killed by friendly fire and by fire. I mean, friendly pillar. That doesn't seem <laughs> right. This movie 
had a budget of only $5 million. Wow. Which is roughly $16 million adjusted for inflation today. That is not much. Given most of that's probably going to the salaries of some of these actors. Well, Connery apparently worked. He like forgot the salary for a percentage of the profits. Because apparently Connery, this is at a low point in Connery's career, which is mm-hmm. how they were also able to get Connery. But he was a big Monty Python fan. Oh, so I guess like, that's true. It's yeah. like you kind of, sometimes you'll you'll make a deal to work with people that otherwise there's not a lot of opportunity for you to work on their kinds of projects. Right. But once again, budget of 5 million made 42 million, which would be 135 million today. So this movie, it was the 10th highest grossing movie of that year. Wow. And this was not an expensive film. So this film did really well for itself. And I'm so glad it did because it's so fun. Yeah. And also as for that ending, that was like one of the big, I mean, Terry Gilliam, that's the story of this guy's career is just fighting against anyone and everyone. He just refusing to make any concessions on anything. He's apparently just like the worst to try to like work with mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, but that's what the executive producer was so against this ending of these parents blowing up. It's like you can't end your kids movie with the parents blowing up. And Gilliam was like, no one's ever done it before. And that's why it works. So they had like a and a preview advanced screening for mostly children. Uh-huh. And the first child who came out was a five-year-old, a precocious five-year-old who came out and was asked what his favorite moment of the movie was. And he proclaimed the parents being blown up. Well, cause also they're terrible and the kids yeah. understand. It's like, That's you know, you have the Dursleys, you have yeah. the parents of Matilda. You want them as a child, you want them to get a comeuppance you know, in a way that like, as you get older, things get unfortunately far more nuanced, you know, um, nuance is good, but I mean like, you know, it's just, it's easier in a fictional thing to like accept that and go like, ha, yeah, that felt right. They didn't care about him. You're not thinking as a child, like now where's he going? (laughs) Exactly. It felt right. But that's why I was like, you can have that and then just have the portal come back and the bandits are like, well, come on. And that's all you need. If you need us, he a just real labyrinth ending. Something. Or like, I don't know, the end of the Spider-Verse. It's like, oh, look, Spider-Gwen yeah. is back. And it's like, even whatever. It's not even necessarily needs to be a sequel setup, but just the like, don't worry. He's not alone in the universe. This really makes it feel like this kid is alone in the universe. Yes. Well, it's a, you we know, pull back. Drone we see sh- a crane shot, not a drone we shot. We see the, yeah. the map. We see the Supreme being roll yeah. up the map map as if to be like well ah that's enough of me caring about this kid and his problems yep. <laughs> um the casting director of time bandits was irene lamb a two-time emmy nominee for casting the tv movies the gathering storm and my house in umbria lamb has also cast such films as star wars the empire strikes back and has cast most of terry gilliam's movies including brazil and the adventures of baron munchausen up through 2018's the man who killed don quixote wow so let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all subjective. And as always, I've looked up all the actors in advance, and Amy Jo is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. So let's kick it off with that evil genius. Amy Jo, your thoughts on David Warner, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I am always thrilled to see David Warner in a project. I am always so happy because he always delivers. And he's so good in this. He's so good. He's like, having so much fun. He's the comedic timing is yeah, brilliant. There's some moment where he, I mean, because for one thing, he's treating this like he's doing Shakespeare. He's not winking for a second, and yet he's totally in the pocket of the style, right? But there was some moment where he talks about like forty-two species of parrot, like the plosive <laughs> yes. on that p. Well, being the, the world's being run by like a maniac. Like forty-two species of parrot, nipples on men. Like if I was in charge, it'd be lasers. Eight a.m. day one. Right, <laughs> that's right. Such a good line, but the delivery of it too. <laughs> forty-two species of parrot, just <laughs> excellent. Um, I love him. I think he. Yeah. Not a false note. No, he's having such a good time. Such and a good so time. am I watching him. Yes. This is one, I feel like it would honestly be very easy to find a lot of people who'd be very fun in this. Um, but the the first thought that came to mind, and this is not for the time because he'd be way too young, but like even just like uh, 15 years later or whatever, um, Richard E. Grant. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, who do, yeah. who has like a sourness to them and, and like plays that sort of like 
the world has done me no favors. <laughs> and so I will rant about it. Um, and who is not afraid of camp? I was like, that's yeah. Richard E. Grant. So that's my top choice. And then I thought maybe like an early 90s Rowan Atkinson, just thinking Mr. Bean thinking style. Rowan Atkinson. Well, I was thinking of that Black Adder style. I, I mean, all, no, sorry, I didn't him. mean Mr. Bean. I meant Black <laughs> Adder. Wow, yes. Like, that makes more sense. <laughs> it's all him and his minions. Like David Warner, I mean, the, my favorite line reading, like someone talks, like speaks up and he blows them, like asking like, you know, I think it's the one that, that's asking like how, like, but if the Supreme being like made you, it can't be all bad or, yeah. like, or something yeah. like that. And he blows them up. And then there's that perfect beat. And then that's a good question. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, yeah. So, so good. Um, my other thought just is like a villain that is al- always kills the villain game is Toby Jones. Oh, sure. I dig that. Yeah. yeah. So those are my thoughts. I get, I think yeah. this is one that I could have let myself go a little off the rails with right. suggestions, but I was like, I'm going to rein it in. Sure. I also, for all my selections, not across the board, but for the most part, I've tried to stick to Brits um, cool. just for right. the British sensibility, even sure. though we have uh, an American in one of the, you know, of Shelley Duvall. But yeah. um, but we don't mostly it's Brits, you know. So, Mo- yeah, mostly, mostly. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're the obvious ones. I'm like, of course, give me Tim Curry. You oh, know? sure. Oh, sure. Give me Christopher Lee. I that yes. I was thinking specifically because I once again, I loved this movie, but it's also just picturing I can see certain actors seeing the costume and the set that the evil genius is mainly in. And the fact that is that he's evil genius. And I can see certain actors being like, okay. But one of the first things, if not the first thing I ever saw Christopher Lee in was in the movie, the stupids with Tom Arnold, where his character is the villainous sender. And by sender, I mean, the main plot thrust is that Tom Arnold's character, Mr. Stupid, sees all this mail has returned to sender stamped on it. And he thinks it's some villain who's stealing people's mail. And he envisions Christopher Lee in this, like, has like a fire, like a fireplace dragon breathing fire as he's just like, now I have all of the mail. And that, like, he's playing sender in the stupids christopher lee would be like cowboys spinning around my knife head oh, this perfectly makes sense Christopher lee was never afraid of a b film no you know? no no uh i could also and raul julia of course oh, yes. i'd be really into oh, um yes. yeah but david warner is giving me everything that i need um but he wasn't the original one offered the role originally terry gilliam offered it to jonathan price oh well that i can see i can see and I love, but he'd been offered this movie Loophole at the same time, which is this heist drama with Martin Sheen and Albert Finney. And he said, Loophole paid twice as much as Time Bandits, so I went for Loophole because I needed the money. But also in 1981, he was doing like a, I think just one of those like loosely adapted, like play adaptations of uh, Timon of Athens mm-hmm. um, and a TV movie adaptation of Pinter's The Caretaker. So he had a lot of like theater stuff kind of getting yeah, captured. The, there's a lot of that, like in the, the 60s through the 80s in particular, oh, yeah. the BBC did like the whole canon of all the Shakespeare stuff. Yeah. And then he, of course, would go on to play the lead in Terry Gilliam's movie Brazil in 1985. And he recalled that any time that he had to do anything difficult in Brazil, such as being hanged from wires or strapped down and tortured, Gilliam would say to him, this is your punishment for saying no. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, And according to his 1980 diary, Michael Palin said that he went directly from a meeting with his son's future headmaster to another with Terry Gilliam to discuss if John Cleese was right for evil genius. Interesting. It's, it, it is more in, if you think of him in faulty towers, that is more in the pocket. We just like, for most of the other stuff that we see John Cleese do, it's not the, uh, I don't, I yeah, love I him in Faulty Towers, I don't, but it's I don't still it. not quite. I think he's perfect as Robin Hood or I, I could, I could maybe see John Cleese as, the supreme Absolutely. genius just to yes. show up at the end and just to be like 
I mean, he's so good. We'll talk about him as Robin Hood in a sec, yeah. but he's so he's so perfect as Robin Hood. Like, like I get it, but I think I mean David Warner. He's killing it. He's David me Warner's just more I giving need. you villain. What John Cleese does in Faulty Towers is more just giving you like put upon, which right. is different than a true villainous performance. True. Like I mean, you're not a Brit, but like I can see the John Lithgow version oh, oh. of this very easily. Oh yeah. Uh, but let's move on to Mrs. Ogre. So this is one of our, our vignettes to chat about this a bit. This is Catherine Helmond of, uh, of many things, several that I've not seen, but she was very well known for the show Soap. It was a parody of soap operas at the time, which is very popular. Uh, it was apparently also one of Billy Crystal's first big things that he was on for like 70 something episodes. She would also go on to be in Brazil. She was Mona on Who's the Boss? And Amy, you might recognize her as Jack's mother in the fairy tale theater of Jack and the Beanstalk. Oh, hey. Now we're talking. When you said you might recognize her, I was like, what episode Which, of Murder She Wrote um, is it? It's either Murder but, She Wrote or Fairy Tale Theater. Yeah. Um, but this is so we're like after we're on the Titanic, the Titanic sinks, and then they get plunked into a different ocean where they get picked up by this boat run by Mr. and Mrs. Ogre, where Mr. Ogre looks like. A, sh- a Shrek meets an orc. This is very fairy tale theater. This level of of costumery right here too. Like and Mrs. Ogre is just a doting human woman, which mm-hmm. apparently she was supposed to be, and also like have all this makeup and be a monster. And it was Catherine Hellman's idea to be like, wouldn't it be funnier if I was just like me? And I would love it if she was like, I don't want to do all this makeup. Mm-hmm. Do you think I can swing? But this? it is also funny oh it's that she's just so like cutesy with him of like oh dear just when she just nuzzling up against him so funny it is funny uh and yeah with this whole vignette is mainly about them trying to eat our our bandits until they yeah (laughs) they launch this guy out into the sea uh which is pretty great but what are your thoughts on that Catherine helm yeah she's great this is it's so funny it's just like a very small chunk of the film but like you know, uh, having not seen her in anything, um, I wasn't bringing like, well, I, I guess I have seen her as Jack's mother. That's, well, that's you didn't true. realize at the time. I didn't. Um, I'm not bringing that kind of knowledge with me, but I still found her very enjoyable and memorable. These are all very, very different types of people. So Love you'd it. be getting a very different type of performance depending on which one of these. I thought you could have put Shelley Duvall here. Oh, yeah. Um, you could also, I, I think I was just thinking of this because of the, um, the makeup on the ogre and everything, but I was like, oh, Carol Kane would be funny. (laughs) Oh, sure. Um, and then I was really tickled by the thought of Michelle Gomez, who is on that Sabrina TV show. She was on that Sabrina TV show. Mainly from Green Wing. And she's on Doctor Who for a while, I believe. But she's so funny and so strange. And I feel like I don't know what she would come up with, but I'd be interested in all of it. (laughs) And then I thought also around this era, very young Miriam Margulies would be very funny. Oh, yeah. 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 I could see Harriet Walter. Always. He'll give me what I want. Um, I mean, like, I'm just thinking of just give us big freaking comedians give me the carol burnett version of mrs ogre uh or it's like give me billy whitelaw i could always see. billy white of uh someone over from the omen some from hot fuzz of fascist quills? she's kate, kate winslet's mother in quills and uh she's the great this great movie little scene movie start the revolution without me with gene wilder and donald sutherland that you introduced me to amy that's i can't recommend enough to listeners um i could see pam ferris old trunchbull oh, i think would be very yes. funny uh, and if this is like made today i yeah, so give me that Catherine hahn mrs Zoker. i yes. i would be delighted by um but that sound means oh. it's time to play a quick round of two truths and some guy or in this week's case two truths and some mrs ogre <laughs> the way it works two of the following actors were up for the role of mrs ogre one was not and amy joe is to guess which is which your options are lucille ball what gilda radner what and ruth gordon oh wow <laughs> wow the thing is, I could see all of these being options for this time. Yeah. Very different. True. Ruth Gordon. Yeah. Cheesy Pete. Che- um, <laughs> Cheesy Pete's indeed. Cheesy Pete's. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll, I keep talking myself out of each one in turn. Um, I'm going to go with. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna um. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with 
Lucy. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You are correct. <gasps> as far as I could tell, Lucille Ball wasn't considered for this, but Ruth Gordon was originally cast, but broke her leg on the set of Any Which Way You Can, the Clint Eastwood orangutan sequel to Any Which Way But Loose, right before filming commenced, so she had to be replaced. But Terry Gilliam had always wanted Catherine Hellman, but the producers didn't know who she was. And Terry Gilliam was like, no, no, she's incredible on soap. Like, trust me, she's she's gonna kill. But the producers were like, no, 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 we need a bigger name. And, you know, Ruth Gordon's coming to, I think, yeah, she already had like an Oscar nomination for Rosemary's Baby. She's a, a bigger, bigger star at this point. But, which I can so say, I think Ruth Gordon would have Absolutely. Would be delightful. Um, And the producers then were like, well, at least get Gilda Radner because she just finished her run on on SNL. SNL. And um, I mean, like, they all left in 1980, that whole cast. So she would have been totally free. She just finished. So she'd also would have crushed. She'd have been delightful. I would have also loved that. There's really like no wrong answers here for me. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad that we got Catherine Hellman because I'm not as familiar with her. And I thought that she was a delight. She was a real treat. Also, so we reveal, because then, like, the oh, bandits yeah. take over this boat, and then we reveal the this boat. This is the moment where I would have known it was a Terry Gilliam that movie. It's a, the, the boat is a hat for a giant, that they just get lifted in the air, and it's this giant, who I forget his name, but he's apparently some wrestler, that's just, like, stomping on houses, and this boat, but I'm like, what? I love it, because it is that, like, dreamscape notion because if you think about it like what is how how does any of this work are the ogres aware that this is the giant is the giant aware of the ogres is the giant just like hey y'all check out my hat i'm like in disguise (laughs) that he can just like sneak up on these houses because they just think oh it's just a boat about to breathe underwater apparently he can breathe underwater is he some kind of dolphin is he breathing out the top (laughs) of that head that they like inject him with a sleeping potion i was like none of this is making sense and i'm here for all of it yeah yeah, that was that was some like Python animated kind of vibe. It really felt but like that one they of the animated sequences with, come to life. They did it with real people. They did, they did it with real people. Real people. I thought, wow. And that's <laughs> it's my a lot review. more money. My review. A lot more money to do with real people than just drawing it. <laughs> yeah, but heck, drawing costs money too. Oh dang, you're right. Um, although it's the same amount of money to draw a giant with a boat for a hat as it is to draw, I don't know, a pizza cat. You know, a pizza that's also a cat. Oh. I'm not sure why you're making that face. I'm not sure why you're talking about a pizza that's also a cat. Is this a thing I should know about? <laughs> I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think my mind went for pizza pizza rat. The famous, our famous New York mascot rat, of a rat just trying to pull a piece of pizza, just dragging it along the subway steps to feed his rat family. Mm. But my mind then instead went pizza cat. So I could just see a cat, a cat I, just eating I some was, pizza. So this is where my mind went. I was like. Garfield's mm-hmm. not a pizza guy, but he does love Italian food. He does love Italian like, food. Wait, I mean, are you telling me if you if you showed a pizza pie to Garfield that he's going to turn his nose up no, at No, he's going to leave one slice, shovel the rest in his mouth in one go. We know this. Oh, he's going to fold it in two and eat it like a big sandwich. Yes, yes. Yeah. Hundo. Mm-hmm. One um, hundo, sure, sure. Yeah, I just, I, yeah, I was confusion <laughs> for a moment there. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess it's the same. I mean, it's. <laughs> warranted confusion there's no such thing as pizza cat listen or write in if you know of a such thing as pizza cat if i've just thought of like something you're like oh, you don't remember cat. the short-lived hit tv cartoon from the 90s pizza cat and it's pizza cat adventures didn't you know that pizza cat is really banksy the like japanese version of garfield that's just it's pizza cat but he's technically not garfield he's a black cat that loves pizza not Mm. lasagna and he hates thursdays completely Ah, classic garfield had no job monday is the same as any other day of the week you stupid orange fat cat well he hates him because john goes to work and he's got no one to show around oh that's true i was gonna say he hates john he should be happy to be rid of him but you're right he liked shoving john around yeah he yeah, still can shove real... odie around he could shove normal around normal garfield oh my god i used to love that throw that strip. cat in a wood chipper garfield <gasps> what a wow. nightmare cat wow we're still printing garfield comic strips get this cat out of here who's with me this stupid cat wow, i didn't expect jeff to incite a revolution <laughs> on this podcast but Folks, you heard it here first. You know what? There's one orange cat that belongs in my funny pages, and it's Hobbs of Calvin and Hobbs. That's it. Yeah, that's a different. And that's it. That's it. Well, 
All right, everybody, get your protest signs and get ready to go. Get rid of Garfield. Uh, we're going to storm the New York Times building. Moving on to Robin Hood. <laughs> Amy Joe, your thoughts on John Cleese and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? He's perfect. It's so this bit. The right. Conceit so the bit. If you've not seen is, the movie. Oh, buddy. The bit is we are introduced to the time period for a, a while that we are seeing that all of these like rough and tumble thieves and outlaws and they're all like, I mean, the one whose whole gag is you can't understand a word he says. Yeah. And then we reveal, they're like, oh, the bandits are like, we want you to take us to your leader. Yeah, we will, like, uh, Russell's like, I've got an idea for combining our gangs, but I only want to talk to the boss. The boss. You want to talk to the boss? And then they reveal John Cleese in the most technicolor green. Pristine. Everyone else looks like they've rolled around in the mud for a Mm -hmm. month in their costumes. It looks like peasants in the uh, uh holy grail kind and of john cleese is looking so stupid he, had, he apparently so had a beard stupid. at the time so he had to shave his beard for this because he's so baby-faced with the little like like a black version of little lord fontelroy yeah, curls Boy, bob and he is just like oh uh, hello there oh, oh, how are we oh, oh, oh. good my my what a hole Oh, you've got to meet the poor. Oh, they're going to be delighted by this. You'll love them all. I mean, they haven't got two coins to rub together, but they are poor after all. <laughs> He's, it's so, like, it, as you said, it's a one-note joke, but it is so satisfying and it's played so, so perfectly. And this is an example also of where, like, the Englishness of it is just... Oh, it's it's divine. This was just one of my favorite like bits of the whole film because it was just so funny. Um, so I have a bunch of Brits on here. I thought Stephen Fry, oh, very sure. funny. Also does that super yeah. the Englishness of it all. Mark Heap, who is a British actor oh, who. Mm-hmm. Green Wing. He's, he's on space. On spa- he's also Edgar on, writes um, for a show. He's on like one of the marples and all. Like he, he's all he, he's around. You'd he's great up, you with the, the real like high status stuttery clown. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Which is the what is working about this? Is there's yeah. a moment where like the guy who you can't even understand is like punching all the pores. They come forward they, to receive they, a gift. Yes, they get, a, they get some of the, the loot and then immediately get punched in the face. And, and John Cleese is Robin. He's like, is that, is, that, is, that, is that really necessary? And you know, the guy, what, 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 what did he say? He, he said, uh, he's it sorry, is, but it yeah. is. All right. All right. Then. There's yeah. no explanation. Just like, yes, this is necessary. It's and then immediately punches a woman in the face. So funny. For um, this movie for children. For this movie for children. Um, also, Tim McEnery, who is on Blackadder. He plays Captain Darling on all the Blackadder. Mm, she's mm-hmm. like yeah. Stephen Fry's number two, basically. Sure. And uh, he's also very, he, oh, he's also been in like, he might be in Notting Hill. I'm not sure. He's in oh. like, he's in movies as well, but he's, he's very funny. And then another thought I had, and this is a guy I mainly know from uh, the British panel show, Would I Lie to You? But he is an actor uh, and a stage actor primarily, but this guy's name is Miles Jupe. And he is like the poshest, like that's what they'll, you would recognize mm. him if you saw him. He's, he's just like, everything is so like, oh yes. Like the point of view of everything is so posh. And I feel like that's part of what is is comedically at play here is someone's just like, all these like do we need all right you know that that plays that comedically and also just like yeah someone really tall i think it just looks even stupider in this ridiculous costume it's true but i think you could do the opposite because you was talking about what i lie to you i could also see another uh (gasps) guy on many a british panel show david mitchell Mitchell a peep show very but that if you also have like tiny david mitchell coming out next to all these hulking like orc like thugs uh will be very funny to me i'm like if we're going if this is even more of a monty python film give me terry jones as prince herbert from yes for sure holy grail of that oh mom like that that kind of sensibility i was like i could see the dudley moore version of this in 1981 yes yes i could see you're talking black adder you're talking stephen fry i could actually see hugh laurie Yes. In this so easily. 
and made more recently, I think either leaning in with the way that they have it, which I think the number one with a bullet today is Michael Sheen as someone that's sure. like, so like you do not belong here one bit playing like outlaw Robin hood yeah, amongst no. all these guys. Um, or you have someone that's kind of the type, but playing against it. So I was like, for whatever reason, I think Daniel Craig doing this would be very <laughs> funny to me, especially slapping that, unbecoming wig on him yeah and big muscly daniel craig but he's just like soft spoke like, like wow, i mean the way that really he finally silly. opens his mouth and knives out you know and you're yes. like oh oh, oh well 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 mr foghorn leghorn well 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 you know you talking about just uh, us talking about british panel shows and blah 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 it occurs to me that also noel fielding would be very funny doing oh, this today just sure. like you know just someone that. who also just like prancing about you know with the just looking looking ridiculous next to all these um scrappy men (laughs) i take that or not british but for whatever reason i think especially when he's clean shaven nick offerman would be very fun just to see him kind of coming out from this little tent with that wig with the bright green outfit and just Having being like a little soft spoken Nick, Nick Offerman in that wig, I'm would trying be, to picture oh. it, and I can't. But in the best way possible, yeah, I would not be able to have a straight face <laughs> if I was to have to be seeing that in person. Uh, John Cleese filmed his part in two days, which is unsurprising considering yeah, his whole screen time is about five scene, minutes. Really. Um, but I, he makes the so much of it, and I mean because it's clearly alphabetical order but that he's first build of the movie because it works out him and then connery where you're like well yeah cc but the role had originally been written by michael palin for michael palin sure i i see that and then and cleese didn't know that so cleese i think just saw the script and was like oh like i would love to play robin hood if that's free and they were like well this is going to help us yeah. in terms of that he was the most uh, uh, bankable, star. bankable of yeah. the pythons, and I could see Michael Palin in this, but yeah. I. But he's also so great as he's, um. Yeah. Was it? It's Pansy was and it um, Edward or John, like Victor. Vincent. Vincent. I because what I have here is Pansy plus Vincent forever. Let's move on to the Supreme Being. Uh, so, Amy, Joe, your thoughts on Ralph Richardson, who we get, you see, like, the Supreme Being as this floating head chasing the bandits around mm-hmm. a few times before. And then it's Tony J credited as the voice and Edwin Finn as the face. But then we get Sir Ralph Richardson at the end in this, like, the perfect, most upper crust like, oh, yes. Britishness that you could possibly want. Uh, so what are your thoughts and who'd you cast if you had to cast someone else? He's great. I mean, it's so interesting to watch this so many years later when, like... I never got to see Sir Ralph Richardson on stage or something like that. Like just knowing the name. I also know that he's bringing that status of like, this is a man of like the British theater and British like television and film and everything to this sort of, Oh, well everything's sort of like, uh, yes, of course I could have done this or that, but now it's time to get moving on with it. Like, it's just, again, very English, very of this period. It feels like as far as all of my options are for later, I thought if this were being made closer to today, we could get Jim Broadman here. Love it. Like that. Yeah. I feel like he, he has a bit of a sunnier kind of, uh, he tends to play a bit sunnier, um, but uh, would also be great in this. I thought maybe Mark Rylance would be interesting here. His, oh, when sure. he's just kind of his more soft spoken movie persona kind of thing, not his yeah. bigger blustery or stage thing that he tends to do. Now, this is someone who I was like, he could go in a bunch of different places, but I was like, maybe Ray Fiennes. Oh, here, definitely. You know? Yeah. Him him as M in the yes. Bond films. That energy yeah. for sure. And then I thought, you know who is the supreme being in my mind in many ways is Kristen Scott Thomas. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want, I want Kristen Scott Thomas coming in and being like, I have to clean up this mess. Right. I love that. Ralph Richardson, because I was also, also not as familiar with him, but he was giving me around the same time, giving me them John Gilgood and Arthur vibes. Yes. Um, just give me John Gilgood. Absolutely. Give me Julie Andrews is who I want yes. rolling you up know what? in 1981. I thought of her. Man, we put this back on and like she occurred to me and then like I took a nap and I forgot it. <laughs> but yes. Damn you nap. Uh, you made me forget. Julie? Um, I mean, I see uh, more recently, like I see the Anthony Hopkins version of this. Totally. 
Uh, I also see the Judy Dench version of this. Always. I would love. I, I really see Judy Dench in the ver- the version of like, well, we need to tidy this up now. Like, come on, yes. come on, come on. Um, a real like what they wanted to do with old Deuteronomy, but unfortunately they were making oh cats. My God, talk about evil genius! <laughs> <laughs> cats, the movie. Uh, and like I could see the Morgan Freeman of this like made today. Oh, really, of I mean, he's again, played God before he, he should is, be playing. He's familiar with the role, right? Um, but like the kind of a bit, not quite the version that they have here, which is the like that scene at all above it all, which yeah. is so works so well. I, I want to see the Alan Alda version of this, like made today of like, mm. if Alan Alda is revealed as the Supreme being and he's just like, ah, geez, you know, uh, sorry about that. I guess it's kind of a bit of a mess. If you could just, if you wouldn't mind getting all that evil, oh, yeah. you, you don't, you don't want to miss a single uh, scrap of that evil there. Uh, I think it would be good to be like, well, you can't really be mad. It's Alan Alda, but it's still like, you want to throttle him. Like yes, you're just yes. letting all of this happen. All those people died. Yeah. I, I don't know. Something about a free will, I guess. Um, apparently Ralph Richardson was cast as the supreme being because he's regarded as a god in the acting profession. What did I say? <laughs> what did I say? And Terry Gilliam said that he took his role so seriously that he submitted his own red ink edits, complete with a message. God wouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, but... Executive producer Daniel O'Brien suggested the following. So whether or not these were actually considered or, or just really more was these, what I'm putting across? this producer that's like, hey, what about this? What about we get some more starry names in here? Uh, he wanted Burt Reynolds. Why does everyone think, you know what this movie needs? And by this movie, I mean Every any movie. movie. Burt Reynolds. He was a big box office draw. But to play not just God, but the supreme being in a super British film? Well, that is that is another version of the joke. Is it, it to is have it just be the like the guy just you know gum chomping Burt Reynolds of uh, oh yeah well, just uh, throw throw that anywhere, but uh, you definitely want to dispose of it because I um, suppose if you uh, if you touch it, you're gonna uh, blow up your parents. <laughs> Uh, he was doing Cannonball Run in 1981, so a much better choice for him, I think. And he suggested Peter Sellers. Which I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. That is the this is clear quilty written all over it. You know, oh, it's kind sure. of like weird, like, oh, I don't know. I'm just kind of a quirky guy. Right. Um, and and Peter Sellers died in 1980. So right. it was because it's being there and then some like Fu Manchu movie. Oh, I thought it's like there his, was last his last film. film. Yeah. Being there should have been, but then Yikes. it's him as yeah. uh, Fu Manchu and uh, some not great looking makeup. But this could have potentially have been his last film if uh, they'd wound up going Peter Sellers. But I can certainly see it. I certainly see Peter Sellers as the person like, this isn't really my problem. Yes. So you uh, figure this out. The thing that you get with like Peter Sellers is a really fine actor as opposed to Burt Reynolds, who is a movie star. Who's not to say that he is not an actor because obviously he is, but it's not. It's not the same. Also, Peter Sellers did a lot of satire, you know, so he already like knew how to like handle this. If you want to get an American movie star, I'm like, skip right on over Burt Reynolds. No offense. B get me Jack Nicholson. Like if that's, yeah, if you get, want, that's go get Nicholson. Get a stronger actor. Have who, him smoking a cigar and just like, because Nicholson has played the devil and that's what makes sense. I think it's funny to have that energy as he's as the Supreme God. being yes, instead for sure. when it's ultimately like, what's the real difference here? Exactly. <laughs> then you make it a point. And not just that, hey, we managed to get Burt Reynolds for a movie. True. But as I said, like they were they were throwing this movie together as they went. That it was like we just kind of need like they wrote in the uh, Vincent and Pansy characters. They were like, oh, one of them, maybe maybe Michael Palin was friends with Shelley Duvall. So it's like, hey, are you free? You want to come? Film, film a thing in a movie. So just fun. I wish they be, had one making more, it more star studded. I know you get them. They appear twice once in the Robin Hood sequence and then on the Titanic with the same names. Yes. And the same basic characterization. But it's just the two. It's so weird that it's twice. You do want like they could have been Mr. And Mrs. Ogre, too. Yes. And like a version, if you have them like in just a wildly different version. Um, or they could have been the parents, you know? Oh, as the, and then they should have like had a hilarious, I mean, they're getting like stripped and robbed in the Robin Hood yeah. and they're on the Titanic. So they probably ain't making I will, it out. I will say they did such a great job of the first shot on the deck without, I mean, and they obviously had like the, 
the little light, what are they called? The life preservers that had like SS Titanic on them. But even before you see that, you know, immediately, of course, oh, of Titanic. course around the Titanic, but it was just like such a, we both went, Oh <laughs> no. And then oh. Pansy and Vincent are there. I loved it. So funny. I loved it. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're both great. They're very funny. And like Shelly Duvall, Shelly Duvall is like, what an, an acting masterclass of just your eyelids alone. It's Her unbelievable what she's acting. doing. Where she's like, she's like, then ask me, Vincent, ask me. And she like, in anticipation, like flutters her eyelids and her eyes roll back into her head. Like, she's just like, uh, like, ah! it is <laughs> so distressing and so funny. They're so funny together. Agamemnon, Sir Sean Connery. Uh, he is the one that suggested he appears one of the firefighters at the end mm. to tie it all together. And so in the original script, King Agamemnon was introduced as, here's what it says in the script. The warrior took off his helmet, revealing someone that looks exactly like Sean Connery or an actor of equal but cheaper stature, which was just a joke, <laughs> which is this, like, this will be funny. And, but the producer, I think it was Denny O'Brien, was just like, I don't know, let, let's see. And like found him on the golf course to like talk wow. him up about it. But because he was a fan of Monty Python, he was like, yeah. I, I get it. I get, I get what you're going for. I yeah. get that you just need a few big names for these small roles. It's like two weeks. It might make money. I'll do it for over the percentage of the gross. And it works out great. Yeah. Because he's, it really is like, talk about movie star. Yes. Like, that's all that you're getting with this. Like, it's not like the biggest role, the showiest role. No. But it's just like such a perfect, like, calming movie star presence. Well, and you want someone, particularly when you're playing like one of the most famous like Greeks who is like also like this has status within his vignette of a particular, you know, yeah. he's, he's wearing the crown and all that. Like you, you want someone that you just can map that onto. And it's like, yeah, Sean Connery, I knew by the gams. Yeah, you knew him by the gams. Uh, he's giving you everything you need. Um, along with Catherine Hellman as Mrs. Ogre, we have Peter Vaughn as Mr. Ogre. And I mean, he's Delightful. great. The two of them together, perfect. All his stuff where he's just like, ow, my back. Like he can't terrify them because he's got back problems. <laughs> Such a funny bit. And then they're like giving him an adjustment. He's like, my back feels fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's so silly. Yeah, we get baby broadband. Uh, oh, as this TV host for the, your so, money or your life, which is like this guy is like drowning in custard. I'm like, I don't I, understand I, the <laughs> rules, but I'm thrilled that these like dead, awful parents are watching. Uh, Ian Holm is Napoleon. Oh, I mean, I, every just, time we see Ian Holm, I'm uh, always happy. Thrill. And this was the second time that he played Napoleon. He had previously portrayed the character in a 1974 miniseries called Napoleon in Love and would reprise the role again in 2001's The Emperor's New Clothes. So it does also make sense that by asking Ian Holm to play Napoleon in this, they're directly referencing that in a fun way. You know, like yeah. that's that's like, well, like we got to we got to get Ian Holm. And he's so good. I love that this is like the first vignette that like, yeah. once the bandits like kevin is like joining them he's there because they're running away from the supreme being that's the first place we drop into well is... because we immediately recognize the hat we know there's french people we know oh, there's some well, sort yeah. of battle and you see the hat you're like okay it's napoleon like unlike with agamemnon where you're like i don't know there's a lot of greeks could be a lot of greeks could be anybody. <laughs> too many greeks too, too many greeks. greeks uh and then we got craig warnock as kevin he's so good he, and he, so he fantastic he won the role after a wide search for the right child actor an agent had seen warnock's brother and sent the brother to an audition and craig was with him merely by coincidence and terry gilliam took more interest in craig noting that the young man seemed rather intelligent yet aloof and quiet as opposed to the stereotypical cute little boy and that this is it's this is his only feature film. It was this and a TV movie two years later, and that's it. And I'm sure ultimately good for yes, him. Yes, yes. Get out. Go have a normal life. Have a normal childhood. Exactly. You know? Well, but he's just you so said good. it when we were watching it, like we we're about halfway through the movie and we're just like talking about how great this kid is. And you're like, he's just so like like such a real little kid, you know? And just like this little boy who's just like really interested in all of this and really invested. He's so heart forward. But you're but like they said, like not showy in this and excited. Right. It's like very much like a sweet, reserved little kid who's very excited by things and can I please keep the helmet? Thank oh, you, sir. So no, oh please. <laughs> With the hat on, it's like echoey inside the thing. It's so cute. Yeah, I love. I mean, like 
because he is like he he knows who Robin Hood is. He knows who all these people are. He's one he, of my heroes. He's getting he is doing a lot, but for so much of the movie, it does feel like he's just getting dragged around. He's yes. not just like, and I'm gonna do this now and then this. It's like, no, no, no. He's just like, what's happening? Yeah. And like to the point that like when you're midway through the movie, he's with Agamemnon. He's like, I just want to live here. I don't want to go back home. I'm not trying to get back to my parents. I don't want to go on more adventures. I just want to stay with my newfound father figure, Agamemnon, Agamemnon. that he's happy for the movie to stop here. And I like that. That's hard. That's a hard needle to thread for your protagonist of a film, even if he is a kid. But it works so well because this kid is like, yeah, give this kid a break. And then it creates more conflict between him and and Randall. They have that great scene between the two of them on the Titanic. where He's just like, why couldn't you leave me where I was? I was happy. He's like, no, listen, kid. And Randall's like smoking a cigar. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, it, it's going to be great. You know, all of their back and forth. Him, him like, like, of course, that's what Robin Hood does. Don't you know anything? Like he always like gives the the money to the poor. It's like he's like, he's a hero. It's like, ah, heroes. What do they know about an honest day's work? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this script is fire. This it's script so is good. so good uh and, and i mean last but not least we gotta talk about these bandits as you said david rapaport as randall wow. kenny baker as fidget malcolm dixon as strutter mike edmonds as og jack purvis as wally and tiny ross as vermin they're so good they're so charming like i wish that there had been another movie just to have I like think there more were plans for them. a sequel that eventually got scrapped. yes yeah. uh, in 1996 oh they Terry Gilliam and Charles uh, McCown w- collaborated on a script for Time Bandits 2, which would have brought back most of the original cast, except David Rappaport and Tiny Ross had both died. And Jack Purvis had been paralyzed in a car accident. Oh, no. So his character was written to be paralyzed, but to be in the film, which yeah. honestly, like, that's, that's like, great. good on you. Yeah. But then when Purvis died, the project was shelved indefinitely. Yeah. And I'm like 15 years after the first one, it's already like, it's hard to picture the 90s version. Like I'm like, it didn't figure it out by like the late 80s. Yeah. A 1981, the thing about anything that's like on the cusp of a decade, like just like shot in like the 00 or 01 or like the whatever nine of the preceding decade. Like it's such a blending of everything that's come before and is leading into it. So this really to me feels like a seventies movie more than we're like very, you know, it's like, it's got so much of that sensibility of like the comedy coming out of that time. And this like the sensibility mid nineties, we are in the nineties, you know, like it's, I just can't, picture it in it's that kind hard of, picturing time bandits two coming out while clinton is in office yeah it feels like it would be like smart ass and everything in a way that the, the 90s just like had this kind of like hey, yeah what about it kind of vibe <laughs> whereas like it's, the, that, it's that bart simpson energy exactly exactly as opposed to like late 70s early 80s which is just like you know we're i don't know in a very different time we're in Margaret Thatcher's England. <laughs> you know, it's not the same. Well, luckily, they're the time bandits, so they didn't have to stay in that time. Now, that's true. Um, but final thoughts, Amy Joe. anything we haven't touched on, any roles, any moments? There's, like, so much I could keep talking about. I, know, I could just so literally good. go line by line because this, <laughs> it's just such a funny script. I wrote down a quote that you said while we were watching the movie because um, one of the bandits gets turned into a pig for yes. that final sequence. Og does. Ah. And uh, you said, and I wrote this down, can't spell hog without Og. And I just thought the it's listeners true. needed to know. It's very, it's a true, you know, you know I've, I've said it all my life. <laughs> can't <laughs> spell never hog was it without more Og. Appropriate than it watching never made this sense film. before, <laughs> but at least sense. now I was like, thank God my catchphrase works. <laughs> I fulfilled my destiny. Uh, so along with that sequel that wound up, of course, not happening, Apple is apparently working. They've gained the rights for a Time Bandits television series for Apple TV with Gilliam on board in a pro- producer role mm-hmm. with Taika Waititi set okay. to co-write and direct okay. the pilot. I am in. Perfect. Because I feel like Perfect now we're person. far enough removed to yes. where it's like great. You but know, Taika based on Jojo Rabbit, based on Hunt for the Wilder People, he knows how to make a kid's a movie yes. starring a kid that does not feel like a kid's movie. He's also so funny. He's so funny. But like I'm 
I'm this honestly is very really excited about this. Like, yeah. I, I'm curious to see what's going on. Uh, and I feel like a TV show is so great because if it's just a movie that's a series of vignettes, you can just stretch that out as long as you want. With an, you know, that's true. We'll see. I don't need like I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it winds up just being each episode. Now we're in a different time period, and we'll see if that can be sustained yeah. for a whole series. Uh, we'll see what they want to do. No idea. There's so many options. We'll see. I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested. interested. And I'll end with this. In his book. Monty Python, The Case Against Irreverence, Scurrility, Profanity, Vilification, and Licentious Abuse, Robert Hewison described the bandits as a commentary on the Monty Python troupe. Oh. Fidget, the nice one, is said to represent Michael Palin. Randall, the self-appointed leader, represents John Cleese. Strutter, the acerbic one, represents Eric Idle. Og, the quiet one, represents Graham Chapman. Wally, the noisy rebel, represents Terry Jones. And Vermin, the nasty, (laughs) (laughs) trash-eating, filth-loving one, represents director Terry Gilliam. (laughs) That's wonderful. I love also that, like, where you've written yourself into the script, you know? Stop eating that. Like, that. you can't eat that. It's like, well, how do you You know until until you you eat eat it? Amy Jo? Why, yes, Jeff. What are you recommending this week? Well, this feels like a strong pivot, um, but I have a podcast I'd like to recommend from a few years back. Um, it's called Chasing Cosby, and it follows the investigative journalist who uh, like, was covering the Cosby trials from like the early 2000s up until the convictions in, I think, like 2017, 20, something like that. It's riveting. Uh, it's it's awful, but important. Um, and like I had followed the story a certain amount, but like hearing they have a lot of the survivors, like, you know, detailing their experiences both, you know, in the moment, but then, then subsequently and going through the courts and everything. And it's, it's, um, I think it's a really valuable listen, really good. And also just, especially in this age of like, you know, print media, just to see like where journalists are pivoting to and the impact of journalism. And it's also just, yeah, it's only like six episodes, I think. And I was just like, couldn't stop listening to it. So it's called Chasing Cosby. Great. Jeff. Amy Jo. What you recommending? We're talking about a movie with a bunch of, we're bipping and bopping through time. So I'm going to talk about not bipping and bopping through time, but a time loop novel, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton, uh, which I read earlier this year, and is about a guy that just realizes that he's living a Groundhog's Day, living the same day over and over again. But each day he gets dropped into a different person's body on this estate and has to solve a murder by the end of like seven days so he's got seven people that he's like living throughout these different lives of different witnesses or friends of the person that gets killed as he's trying to figure out what's happening and why is he living through this loop like what kind of hell is he living in being john murdovich there's so many fun twists and turns i it's as i forget what i said it's like a combination of like an old like agatha christie novel with quantum leap with groundhog's day it's like playing with so many fun elements of, of sci-fi yeah you amy joe this book is made for you uh <laughs> and listener i think it might be made for you too because it was definitely made for me because it's if you're just looking for a real fun mis- like mystery time travel time uh check out seven and a half deaths of evelyn hardcastle and that's what we're recommending this week Da-da-da. So thank you again to Jesse. Oh, uh, Jesse, thank requesting you. Requesting this film because we enjoyed it so we much. We had a ball. Uh, and if you listener have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of, you know what you gotta do. You gotta email us at endalmoststarring at gmail.com and let us know. Hang out with us on the socials at andalmoststarring on Instagram. Like our stuff. Find out what we're doing before the episodes drop. So if you, like us, haven't seen Time Bandits, you will have seen it in ahead of time if then you prepare. You, you, it's like you, you're going back in time what? to watch it before the episode, only it's not. Anyway, until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. Hi, baby Joe Jackson. Likes for joining us to say who almost starred.